millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Let's get this show going. Let's start out by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene, where they have access to lots of bonus content. We just put up a very long bonus episode about the notorious Action Park, <laughs> which, Desi, you did such a wonderful job giving us, <laughs> giving us the history of that amazing, iconic place. I know people seem to be enjoying it. Like it's getting a lot of reaction on Patreon, which doesn't normally get people like listen to them, but I don't think they comment that much there. Yeah. So yeah. We have a lot of comments about it. I think people are like having flashbacks to Or they never heard of it. And it's like, what? How is that possible? (laughs) (laughs) So this week we had Brenda, Tim, James, Rue, Laura, Rui, Roman, Tori, Johnny, Jessica, E, Tara, Brittany, Melissa, Lauren, Kristen, Ryan, Aaron, Susie, Enrique, Ashley, Jess, Macy, and Kay. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. Desi, we have a lot to cover today. This episode has probably been a long time coming. Today, we're going to be talking about teen icon Leif Garrett. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Leif Garrett was neither of our eras. No. He was before both of our times. However, both of us were very aware of Leif Garrett. As I would say, anyone who was watching VH1 in the 90s was aware of him. And not just because of their famed Behind the Music episode, but I feel like like even in like the mid-90s, they just talked about Leif Garrett a lot. Yeah. Was he like on like a reality show at some point? Well, there wasn't, they weren't doing reality television back then, but he did have like some kind of flashback show. I think they hired him for, Okay, but I just remember them like taught, like there was like before they were rock stars, they had that show on VH1 and they would show clips of Leif Garrett. Right. Like I knew he was sort of like a has been teen idol at some point. But I feel like VH1 was particularly obsessed with Leif Garrett. Like yeah. I knew way too much about him for someone who was born in the mid 80s the the vh1 at some point became like a nostalgia channel right like it was like everything was sort of like old school i feel like it was always like that like there was the joke that like vh1 is for old people and mtv's for young people right but i think sometimes at some point they really leaned into that yes like it became more comedy nostalgia like they had like the i love the 90s or like they had those sort of more cool comedians coming on and talking about yeah do you know what i mean that's when they leaned into it but like before when i was a kid watching vh1 i feel like they were like we're all old people right we're gonna talk about teen idols from the 70s and play michael bolton videos yeah like Like, i feel like their videos were like you know like old like women older women (laughs) I don't know why I'm just thinking of my mom, like Michael Bolton, Luther Van, like just kind of like old school, old, adult contemporary, adult contemporary, they, right? Like 
one of the most sick burns against VH1 is probably in Romy and Michelle's high school reunion where Romy goes to apply to be on MTV Singled Out and they look at her application and they go, our cutoff age is 27. Try VH1. <laughs> so That is, yeah. Yeah. But that's the VH1 I grew up watching in the 90s. I watched both that and MTV. I like them both. I I had no problem, and I loved learning about these weird uh, cultural icons from the 70s. I learned a lot about the Partridge family. Behind the Music is like a great show. <laughs> I miss Behind the Music. <laughs> it was so dead serious of a show. I loved that show. And it was always like, oh, this is where you go to see major fuck-ups. I honestly feel like I've seen every episode. I have. Yeah. I watch all of them, even for like bands I did not give a Me shit too. about. Especially those. I mean, yeah, I didn't give a shit about Leif Garrett, but I was riveted by that episode. Oh, my God. So we will be talking about it Uh later in the show, of course, because that is a big part of this story. Absolutely. But let's start at the beginning. Leif Garrett was born Leif Per Nervik on November 8th, 1961 in Los Angeles, right here in Hollywood. Leif was always close with his mother, Carolyn, but his father, Rick, was abusive, and he remembers his early childhood as tumultuous. His mother left his dad and took him and his younger sister, and she took him and his younger sister, Dawn, and this was when Leif was five, so they moved out. Carolyn, the mom, was a costume designer, and Leif says that he spent his childhood surrounded by fellow creatives, and he felt very nurtured in that environment. Carolyn was originally from San Francisco, and Leif would spend time up there often visiting family, specifically in Marin County. I know people who knew him. Okay. From Marin. Okay. I just want to say that the main source for this uh, episode, I'm sorry I forgot to mention that up top, is Leif's memoir, Idle Truth. It's, it's, it's a quick read. It's good. It's very interesting. There's a lot of interesting stories. But he talked about spending like time up in Marin County and how he would be like riding his bike up and up on Mount Tam. And all I kept thinking is, oh my God, if my dad ran into him. I, the people I know, he was like, I can't remember how he was related, but he was like a distant cousin. No way. Yeah. And then it was like married into the family. It wasn't like blood related, but the other person I knew was like a younger boy. So Leif was older, was very jealous of Leif. (laughs) Because he was already like, he became a teen idol at that point. Yeah, he was, was kind of like hated him, like that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Leif's mom not only worked behind the scenes costuming for films, she also acted. And her agent suggested that Leif and Dawn try their hand at acting. Wait, his sister's name is Dawn? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Our favorite name. <laughs> Always gotta love a Dawn. Especially in the 70s. If your name isn't Dawn in the 70s, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, these little kids are trying out acting. They both love it. They both were landing parts in various commercials. Leif was in a Mattel commercial. He did a Continental Airlines commercial and Sears. Leif enjoyed getting out of school to go to auditions, and he liked hanging around the older people on set. He said that the workers on the film set, specifically like the carpenters and the electricians and various crew members, that those became father figures to him because he didn't have that like positive male role model in his life. He didn't want to be back at school with the kids his age who antagonized him for being an actor. And he was also like popular with the girls. So 
the boys were shitheads to him mm-hmm. and he had this like you know flowing blonde hair and he's like very pretty he's very pretty yeah he was a very pretty boy in 1968 leaf sorry leaf he eats leaf does he okay in 1968 leaf landed his first film role a small part in 1969's bob and carol and ted and alice oh. uh fun fact he said that natalie wood was very sweet Aww. In 1971, when Leif was just nine, he appeared on The Dating Game. Oh. They played this clip on the Behind the Music. Yeah, I feel like I have a vague memory of seeing it. And you can see the full clip on YouTube if you Google Leif Garrett Dating Game. And we got to talk about this because it's fucking disturbing. (laughs) It was their Halloween episode and Leif was dressed in a Native American costume in the episode, three little girls are vying for a date with Leif. Leif himself looks back on the episode as bizarre and pretty inappropriate, considering the show had him reading all of these sexually suggestive lines. Ugh, the show. I mean, beyond this, this show is just wrong to begin with. Well, they had serial killer Rodney Alcala right. on it. But just in general, it's like a creepy-ass show. Like, yeah, I don't know. But yeah. yeah. But this is like, you got to watch. We got to post okay. this clip because it's fucked up. My, my jaw was on the floor. So just the idea of these nine-year-olds looking for dates was weird, like just on its face. Right. But the lines that they had these children deliver were fucking bored, like just beyond. One of the questions that Leif asks Bachelorette number two is, what would you fill my trick-or-treat bag with? <laughs> and the girl says, anything you want. And then the audience starts hooting and hollering. It's like, come on, guys. And they made her say that line, I'm sure. Like, this is all scripted. These are scripted, yeah. Leif then asks her how she looks in a bikini. And she says, this is a nine or ten-year-old girl. She says, well, I'm very sexy. In the clip, Leif looks super uncomfortable. Like, he's nine years old and he knows this is wrong. Yeah. And he says in his memoir, he's like, I did not want to do this. And I was mortified the whole time. And I felt like, I don't know why it's wrong, but this is wrong. Who thought this was funny? (laughs) I feel like people in the 70s, well, not people, but I feel like film and television in the 70s, it was like all this borderline, like fucked up, weird, like child stuff. I get in their minds, it's like, look at these little kids acting like adults. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, not with that stuff. It's not like you're pretending they're playing house where they're like, get me the coffee, man. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, they're not doing the wholesome marriage act or something. It's the sexual stuff. I feel like you should never refer to a child as sexy. I feel like that should just be like a rule. Yeah. Or ask them what they look like in a bikini. Like, yeah. Like, the trick-or-treat bag is borderline. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, you could see how it could be innocent, right. but they're definitely playing the line. But and the sexy, way, like, yeah. come on. Like, and the way the audience has, is responding to all the answers. Exactly. It's the audience's response. Like, they should all be going, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> he then um, asks Bachelorette number one and three how he would like them to be like their dad. <laughs> number three says... I want you to be like my dad because he's a doctor and I hope you operate with me a lot. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's so written and and actually poorly written joke. Yeah. Like she could have said, like if I was going to be perverted, I would say, my dad's a doctor and I would love to play doctor with you. 
Right. I'm just saying, like, that's a better written line. I agree. Operate with you? Like, come on. Yeah. They really dropped the ball there. Yeah. If you're going to go full perv, If go you're perv, just make the good, obvious joke. Right. Exactly. And then, finally, at one point, the host said about Bachelor number two, I think she'd look sexy in a bikini. Ugh. The fucking host said that. I, that host is so gross. Yeah. <laughs> So at the end of the episode, Leif ends up going, went to Disneyland, paid for by the show with the bachelorette that he chose. He brought a friend and so did she. And this is a quote from Leif's book about that. We were nine years old. That was the only normal part of the story that we didn't actually go on a date. In 1972, Leif landed his first starring role in the film Walking Tall with his sister Dawn. She was also in that film. Around this time, Leif's mom got into a relationship with Burt Reynolds. I got to tell you, Desi, some of the celebrities in his story are iconic. Well, it's like that 70s era. Like, yeah. So all of those celebrities, like, Along the lines of Burt Reynolds. Like, he (laughs) name drops some pretty amazing people in this book. I highly recommend it. Idle Truth, that's what it's called, everybody. So Leif Leif fondly remembers Burt Reynolds. He said that he really took care of, you know, him and his family. But the relationship ended in 1973. But he has nothing but good things to say about Burt in his memoir. Okay. Rest in peace, Burt. Leif continued to land roles in TV and film. He played Tony Randall's son on The Odd Couple, and he acted alongside Martin Sheen in 1975's The Last Survivors. In his memoir, Leif has a chapter simply titled Masturbation. Now, this isn't pertinent to the story, but I felt like I had to bring it up. Of course. It's a very short chapter, but he wants us to know in this book that that he... Started masturbating at around age 11, and he was obsessed with it. How is that not pertinent to the story? (laughs) I mean, is that a revelation? Is that a whole chapter? Yes. It's a short chapter. The chapter's called Masturbation. So it's just telling us that he became obsessed with masturbation, basically. Which I feel like isn't exactly breaking news. breaking news unless it's excessive in any way. No. He wasn't, like, obsessive about it or, like, weird about it like a serial killer. Like, it was just normal 11-year-old boy. So he's just being cute. Yeah. He said, and he did say that seeing all these hot older women on set drove him crazy. I can buy it. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Like Natalie Wood acting yeah. alongside her, you're like, damn. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so in 1975, Leif was cast in the show Three for the Road. Though the show only ran for one season, this would be his big break. He landed on the cover of Tiger Beat magazine. Oh, Tiger Beat. Can we just talk about Tiger Beat, Bop, Teen Beat for one second, please? Yeah. Because I have opinions. I do too. I One was, thing I'd like to know is why is it tiger beat? What's the tiger for? I have no idea. I think because you're, when you're a horny young girl, you're ferocious like a tiger. I don't know. I just was always curious about that. I, <laughs> I did not read or buy these magazines as a kid, but I had lots of friends who did, obviously. Like I was the odd man out because I didn't read these ones I didn't find most of the boys in it attractive I liked very um rough around the edges older men from a very young age probably and I didn't have any interest in seeing pinups of Zachary Ty Bryan 
But they had some of the bad boys. They in had there. Brad Renfro. They had Brad Renfro, and they had River Phoenix. They for did. Me. They so, did. So I mean, I definitely bought them, but I didn't crush on most of those good boys. Like I had pictures of hot guys I liked up on my walls, but they were mostly like hot guys in bands I like, like posters of bands or like po- ripped from Seventeen magazine. Right. Like I don't know. I thought I just thought like, oh, there's nothing. You just look at the pictures. That's all you do in these magazines. I mean, I definitely bought them, but I was. I was more of like a sassy girl. Yeah. <laughs> like sassy was my thing. Sassy was good. Yeah. I was like a sassy ended when I was like a like 10 or something, but I read right. sassy when it was around and I thought it was. When that came out, I was like, ooh. Because that was yeah. for cool girls. Yeah. I liked it. Sassy but, was good. But the Bob and Teen and Tiger Beat, that was more when I was young. Like, very young that I would be into those magazines. I just, like, it didn't interest me because it was, like, all, like, these fake quizzes and, like, just pictures and pinups. Like, there was no co- content in they the magazine. good. I think it was just like, oh, I buy these magazines. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They like, were, like, too cheesy. They were too stupid. And I think they got worse throughout the 90s. Yeah. Because this the people weren't as good. Like, once it was, like, all um, the home improvement kids. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was not into any of those kids. No they offense. sucked. I feel like they ruined those magazines. <laughs> and you know what? Because there was like all three of them, and it's like fuck those. Like the 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 '90s like must see TV or like whatever the Friday night block. Yeah, those kids were not hot. Like whatever you say, they were fine actors. They're on a sitcom. They weren't. They didn't lo- make me lust. <laughs> Like, do you know what I mean? They were too wholesome or something. There was one TGIF star, and I've mentioned it before in the pod, Ryder Strong. Well, yeah, he's hot, but he was like, I don't even know that he was as prevalent as you know what? He's he's a thinking man's Tiger Beat star. (laughs) That's what Ryder Strong is. I'm. You know what? I've I fucking decided he's in Tiger Beat. He's not in Bob. I wish that Tiger Beat was sort of the more intellectual, like, heart heartthrobs. Well, when you call your magazine Bop. Bop had to be the worst. It was For the me, worst. For me, Bop was, like, pink. It was, like, the bubblegum letter Bop was, like, all hot pink or something. I mean, like, they that's all were memory. towards the end, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I can't, I can't like, you know, approve of these magazines. <laughs> yeah, terrible. I just it was it was not for me. But like I said before, like, I do feel like the quality got worse though as the '90s went on. That's yeah. my opinion. But I have I no don't idea. disagree with you. I mean, I didn't read the ones in the '80s or yeah. whatever. But like, I don't disagree with you that they were just like so boring. I do feel like they started off, and I don't know like the genesis. I think they started off more like old school gossip rags would have been for adults. Yeah, like those old Hollywood Confidential. Like I think they were more like publicity stories. And stuff like that, and photo shoots. And then at some point, they just became trash. It was just pictures. That's yeah. all it was. Yeah. Like, I wanted to read shit. Yeah, me too. And so I wanted get people, like, if you want crappy shit to read, or us, like, whatever. Right. But I also, like, I wanted makeup tips and, like, kissing tips. Right. Or whatever. It was definitely not any of that stuff, I didn't, for sure. I didn't care. And I wanted someone's, like, harrowing story about their fucking trying pot once and jumping off a building. Right. That's like, what sassy is for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I read sassy in 17 and yeah. whatever. Right. Anyway. Okay. Okay. I so just he's had, on Tiger Beat. He, that was big. Getting on the cover of Tiger Beat, if you're a little actor boy, that's a big fucking deal. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Fan mail for Leif came pouring in and a teen idol was born. At one point, Leif was receiving the most fan mail of any other Tiger Beat heartthrobs. More than John Travolta, more than Sean Cassidy. Whoa. He was the most popular of the Tiger Beat stars. Well, because he had that thing that I always think um, girl, young girls like and why I think someone like Justin Bieber was popular initially. They're very safe Yes. These are not boys who are going to hurt you, (laughs) even if they will, right? (laughs) We obviously like the ones who might be sort of uh, damaged. You are not preaching to the choir right now, Debbie. I want someone But I'm just saying those type of guys where it was just like they're almost neutered. There's nothing really sexual about them even. Although Leif Leif, uh, is a little bit sexual for sure. But he was very androgynous. Yeah. So there's that element I think that young preteen girls find very safe- uh, that's how I feel like certain teen idols grow. Like, Yeah, absolutely. In 1976, Leif was in Israel shooting the film Skateboard, which he starred in alongside Tony Alva, who's a legendary skateboarder. It was here that he got high for the first time smoking hash. Leif actually shot another film there after Skateboard wrapped, and he wound up living in Israel for six months. And this is where he learned how to drive. He also recalls, this was just like a weird aside, he said that him and his mom were like walking in the Sinai Desert at night, and they saw like weird alien UFO lights at night. Now, the person I said who was jealous of him, he said that Leif gave him a skateboard necklace. And he was so furious. He was a skateboarder. I know. So he had some iconic necklace that he wore. And yeah. I guess probably maybe they sold them or something. So he was mad that Leif did this really nice thing. Yeah, because you know when you hate someone, right. you even hate when they're nice to you. Right. It's almost like you hate it more. And it's like, like, fuck you, I don't want your necklace. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? How dare you try to win me over? Fuck you. Seriously. And like, by a, it seems like from 
Leif like seems like he was a really nice guy, like very down to earth. I'm sure he's was nice, but he's a young kid who's really famous, so it's probably impossible for it not to go to your head. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's or just for, no way. Or for other kids to be jealous of you, maybe. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, especially when you're getting so much attention and you're so good looking yeah. and whatever. The following year, Leif lost his virginity and tried Coke for the first time. Nice. Two very exciting <laughs> moments in a young kid's life. How old is he? He's 15 or 14, oh, okay. 14, 15. So that's uh, pretty young. Well, that's, yeah. Actually, it's 1977, so he's 16. Okay. It's like... More typical. Look, that's... Yeah. That's not abnormal. Uh, Maybe it was 1975 he did this. I don't know. Look, he was like between 14 and 16 when he lost his virginity slash... If it was 76, he was 15. Okay. I don't know. But he did coke and he fucked for the first time. He did this while he was filming Final Chapter, Walking Tall. I guess that's a sequel to Walking Tall, the other movie he did. By this time, Leif was a regular weed smoker, but he was very nervous about trying coke. He did his first lines with the director's daughter and the first AD in his hotel room, and he liked it. The next night, Leif and the director's daughter went on a date, and they went back to his hotel room where they had sex. It was his first time. The hotel room door was unlocked, and her dad, the director, Jack Starrett, walked in and saw everything. <gasps> wow. Imagine that being your first time. That's and traumatizing. That's your boss. And it's your boss and the dad of the girl you're yeah. having sex with. That's wild. So in 1976, Leif signed a five year management contract with the Scotty Brothers. Heavily, heavily mentioned in the VH1 Behind the Music yeah. documentary. And he was signed to Atlantic Records at this time, which he notes made him feel like a bit of an imposter, knowing that he was sharing a label with the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, other bands who were his idols. Under the management of Tony and Ben Scotty, Leif's music and artistic visions were severely limited. It was up to them the kind of songs and image that he was going to be putting out into the world. I mean, did he have an artistic vision for music? Like, did he really want to do that? Or Yeah, he wanted to be a rock star. He didn't want to be doing these saccharine pop cover songs. I know. I didn't even know he had an interest in music to begin with. He did. Okay. He did. And he really cared about music and he felt so mortified that he was sharing a label with these guys. He said a, a lot in his memoir that he felt like he hadn't even, he got signed to this big record label when he hadn't even paid his dues and he felt guilty about that. Yeah. That he got, he only got signed because he was this teen heartthrob. Right. And it was like, sure kid, let's make a record that'll make us more money. Right. Instead of based on his musical talent, talent yeah. alone. His first album was a collection of 50s and 60s pop covers like Surfing USA and Put Your Head on My Shoulder. When Leif was brought in to record the album, he got to the studio and there was a pre-made track ready to go with lyrics to a song he didn't write. He just had to sing and he was not a great singer. So they brought in a session singer named Jim Haas to do backup, but there were many times when his voice was more prominent than Leif's. Like they were really turning up this session singer's voice on the track. So what was his musical goal if he wasn't even a good singer? I mean, he was like, I could become a good singer. I right. want to pay my So he dues. just wanted to be a musician. He liked music. Yeah. He wanted to get good at it okay. by like playing clubs and doing live right. shows. Like he didn't, 
And he knew he wasn't a great singer. Right. Naturally or whatever, but he really had a passion for music. Okay. So they're cranking up the backup vocals and doubling yeah. Leif's vocals and manipulating them. Leif's own voice was so manipulated that by the time he heard the finished product, he said sometimes he could barely recognize his own voice yeah. on the album. So they shot a music video for Surfing USA. Have you seen this video? I don't know. I don't remember. They show clips of it. Yeah, I've probably seen clips of it. Look, <laughs> it is no hype Williams music video. <laughs> All of this is like very vague memory for me. Yeah. Because I've probably seen that behind the music like 20 times. Yeah. <laughs> if you saw it, if you just saw like clips of this, you'd, be, you'd have like these flashbacks. Yeah. You'd remember. I'm sure if I saw it, I would fully remember. It's very cheesy. It's yeah. basically just close-up shots of him on a beach singing Surfing USA. My memory of him is like, I didn't really know what he was famous for. And then when I think I did check out his music, I knew all the songs he was covering because they're like 50s classics. Yeah. And I was kind of shocked that that's what he did. Right. I remember being shocked like, oh, he just did covers of like old 50s things <laughs> yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and 60s things too. Yeah. Well, 60s. Yeah. Like, but old music. It was but all covers. Not, yeah. But I feel like at that time, it's not even that old to just be putting out a whole album of covers. It was such an obvious money grab. Yes, yeah. and that's what the Scotty brothers told him. They're like, once a hit, always a hit. Yeah. These are guaranteed to be hits again. Right. But I would say, well, why don't you just listen to the Beach Boys version? Right. The vocals are clearly better on the Beach Boys version, even with their Jim Haas. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's insane. They're just better. So in his book, Leif recalls mentioning to all the adults in the room how cool it would be to have a TV channel that just played music videos. And everyone was like, shut up, kid. <laughs> I think this is canon that Leif Garrett invented MTV. I mean, why not? Let's give it to him. Let's just give that to him. Yeah. Leif's first concert was at Magic Mountain in 1977. For those of you who don't know what Magic Mountain is, it is an amusement park in Valencia, which is like just north of LA. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's like a roller coaster amusement park. Yeah. It's where you go on the scary roller coasters Mm -hmm. there. So it was barely a concert. He was shocked that there wouldn't even be a live band playing behind him. And he was even more shocked that he would be lip syncing. (gasps) So he got on stage and they're like, you're just going to be performing against this black curtain backdrop and we're going to press a button and you're going to lip sync. That must be the most awkward thing in the world to do. He was devastated. Like, beyond devastation, it just must be difficult. You must feel like a fucking idiot the whole time. Like, there's no way I could do that. Well, he was also freaked out because he's like, the song Surfing USA fades out at the end. How am I going to do that and make it believable? From lip you just must feel so corny. Like, that's like cringe. I can't. He was mortified. Yeah. He was did not want to. And he was like bummed out, too. He's like, this is my first show. Like, yeah. But. He got out on stage and there were hordes of screaming girls with their pic- his picture on their t-shirts yeah. and holding posters. They did not give a shit. They just wanted to see Leif Garrett in his little tight pants yeah. and his hair shimmying around the <laughs> stage. He gets out on stage. Surfing USA started playing. He lip synced along to it. And then the song ended and he went to leave the stage and the stage manager pushed him back out. Do it again, he said. And that's when Surfing USA started playing all over again. (gasps) He sang the song a second time. The audience (laughs) loved it. 
The song ended. He goes to go back out stage. They're like, do it again. And he did it a third time. He had to do Surfing USA (laughs) three fucking times. Imagine wanting to hear that song three times in a row. (laughs) Can you imagine of all songs? No. It's like, I've got, I got the point. (laughs) Song one. He didn't even like Surfing USA. He said he didn't even like the song in the first place. And he's like, did he even surf? Like... I don't think so. Yeah. He was a skateboarder, right. but I don't think he was a surfer, but he's like, I don't even like that song. And this is my hit single. And crazy. I have to sing it all the time. I Ugh. fucking hate this song. Yeah. They didn't care. The audience loved it. They loved Leif. And he continued to do promo tours across America and Europe. These were not concerts. These were like mall performances and in stores. Right. He was doing radio promotions, TV shows, uh, you know, top of the pops in yeah, where in England, he was 16 years old with seemingly unlimited money and luxuries at his disposal, and the adults around him were happy to supply him with drugs and alcohol. On top of it, Leif continued to be frustrated how he was being artistically controlled. Every time he performed, he lip-synced songs he didn't even like, and it was barely even his voice on the track. This is a quote from Leif. My records sounded just like what they were, a bunch of grown men trying to repackage music that they had grown up with at a time when the Sex Pistols were erupting and David Bowie, the Ramones, the Talking Heads, and other bands that I loved were busy creating one of the most explosive moments in cultural history. And I was singing, put your head on my shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to suck. I feel like that's the song I first saw by him. Same. Where I was just like, what? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, this is terrible. This is awful. He became annoyed doing these Tiger Beat quizzes and the elaborate stories that they would create about him, just that he was looking for a wife or, you know, just based on these limited answers that they they would, that he would give them. And he was filling out these questionnaires just so like, uh, whatever, like he wasn't putting any thought into these questionnaires and they would create these whole narratives around Leif Garrett. Tiger Beat was not, however, telling the readers that Leif was a budding alcoholic and drug addict. And he was like, yeah, well, they don't know this about me. (laughs) Yeah. Although there were plenty of depressing moments on tour, there were obviously plenty of exciting times for Leif. On his first trip to Japan, one of his managers took him to a massage parlor. At the parlor, a row of girls lined up and he was instructed to pick one. The girl washed him and then massaged him and then she had sex with him. Ooh. But I just think that's pretty gross if your adult manager takes a 16-year-old to do Uh, that. It's really gross. Yeah. So, like, that's the kind of environment that these adults, they're like, fuck you and your artistic vision. Because they're losers. So they're like, who wouldn't want people to fuck them? (laughs) Like, when they were 16 or whatever. Right. Like, it's this mentality uh, that men have, I think, and or whereas people don't think boys can be sexually abused, do you know what I mean? Like, which is absolutely untrue. But they're like, boys want to fuck girls. You know what I mean? Like, they think it's okay because it's a boy or something. Yeah. But if you turn the tables and made it a girl, everyone would immediately be like, oh my god, that's disgusting. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But it's like, no, they shouldn't be sexualized that young either. Like, it's one thing if they're doing it on their own with right. people their age, right? But to enable it is just disgusting. Yeah, that's something he talked about in his book is just sort of like the enabling and the looking the other way when adults would hit on him when he was a kid, which right. him at the time he was like sometimes he was uncomfortable about it, but he was also confused by it. 
and didn't get why it was wrong, but then later on in life felt really upset about it. That's the whole thing with kids. Like, they're not emotionally mature enough to deal with those situations. Right. Even if they think they're agreeing to it. Right. Yeah. So even though he is this big star with a lot of money, he's still a child at this point. He's 16 years old. And though Leif wasn't the rock and roll star that he dreamed of being, he definitely partied with them and like them. He spent several days with Joe Perry in a Beverly Hills hotel hotel room doing blow, and it was the late 70s, so of course they were also doing quaaludes. There's a lot of quaaludes in his story, and I love that. Yes. Quaaludes and Dawn, that's a 70s story. <laughs> Leif's second album, Feel the Need, was released in 1978. It was again a collection of covers, but one of the singles was an original song written for Leif called I Was Made for Dancing. And this would be his most popular song. Ooh. The song's kind of fun. I got to say, this is one of his better songs. Uh, okay. Because it's, it's like a very disco heavy song. Would I have heard it? Is it like popular? Uh, no. Okay. I mean, not now. Maybe I would be It's familiar. not like an iconic disco song. No. <laughs> but it's, I'm saying in terms of like Leif Garrett's musical catalog at this right. point, this is like his best work so far. Did he like it? Or this still wasn't what He's, he wanted? This is not what he wanted. Right. But I'm sure he liked this a little better because yeah. it was like slightly less, I mean, it's corny, but it's yeah. like slightly less corny than put your head on my shoulder maybe. <laughs> I don't know. At least it was like modern. Yeah. Because it was like of the era. Right. Feel the need. I was like, oh, this song's pretty good. Feel the need. And then I realized, oh, this is a cover Uh, by like a soul band. Oh, right. But like there's this video of Leif performing the song Feel the Need. He is wearing the most insane black satin stretch pants I've ever seen in my life. Like they are so tight. I can't fucking believe it. It hurts looking at them. Yeah. Some of his outfits... We're going to post a he's lot of so, pictures. He's so like skinny. You know what I mean? He's like this skinny kid. Yeah. And they're putting him in these sexy men outfits. <laughs> like, Yeah. I mean, sexy in quotes. Like, like you're saying, like these tight pants. They were trying to Rod Stewart him up. Right. So Leif uh, was about to set out on his first real tour, meaning that he would be performing real concerts, not these promotional shows at malls and in stores and such. He would have a live band with him and everything, but he and he wouldn't even have to be lip syncing. His backup singer Jim Haas would be coming along on the tour with him right. and also be on the mic yeah. behind him or backstage or whatever, <laughs> and they would be cranking up his mic higher when they needed to. But the concerts somehow failed to all sell out, and his managers, the Scotty brothers, panicked. They came up with a scheme to cancel the tour altogether, telling the press that Leif had come down with a severe case of pneumonia. Leif was stowed away in a hospital for a few weeks pretending to be sick. This was all to avoid the embarrassment of having not sold out every single one of their shows. Damn. Yeah. so severe. But Leif would end up touring live a few months later. In 1979, Leif appeared in a TV event called Disco in the Snow. Ooh. This was filmed in Switzerland. One of the acts performing was the Jacksons. Over the course of four days of filming, all the artists were staying at luxury Swiss ski lodges. It was a very 70s this ski This sounds moment. amazing. There's one like weird thing I was obsessed with when I was in high school, and that was like 70s ski yeah, I love 70s ski. I just was like really into that whole aesthetic. And, and I also love Swiss. Like that. Ver- 
<laughs> the cheese. Like, just like the uh, stereotypical Swiss, like if it was like a photo shoot. Like when I like go to Swiss-ness? Disneyland and I am in like fantasy land, I'm like, oh, I love all these little <laughs> chalets. Yeah, it's very cute. But that's kind of ski-oriented, too. Like the Matterhorn. Yeah. Like, I like that sort of whatever. It's a very cute aesthetic. Very cute. But I was very much into the whole 70s opera ski aesthetic. I wanted to be, like, by the fire in a very oversized sweater. With, like, lots of muffs. Yeah. And, like... (laughs) Just fondue. sitting there, not yeah. skiing. No, not skiing, but I wanted to be eating fondue. Right, around a fire Around pit a fire pit with like place, yeah. very hairy men. Yeah, absolutely. That bear like, skin rugs. Yeah. Yeah, I Abs- love that whole, that whole look. Right. So in the special, Leif performed Feel the Need outside in the snow surrounded by women in ski suits while sitting on a giant snowman. Ooh. You can watch this whole concert on YouTube and it's pretty great. I'm going to watch it. It's honestly like there are some great acts in it. Uh, Kate Bush did this. What? (laughs) The Jackson 5 and Kate Bush. (laughs) Very typical combo. (laughs) There were a lot of disco acts. Uh, It it was a great. That's such a great idea. Why don't people do shit like that anymore? I know. I would totally. That's like way better than Coachella. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, this and Leif's performance was also intercut with him like skiing down the slopes. Ooh. It's I so love, fun. Yeah, I love you it. Gotta, you got to watch this. So the Jacksons also performed in their ski suits next to the giant snowman. So the snowman was featured twice. He was like a part of the show. Because they built, I mean, this thing is like, looks like homemade built. Ooh. It looks real. I mean, his face is kind of janky, but it kind of makes it funny. Yeah. I love you got to see this video. So one day, while at the hotel bar in Switzerland, Michael Jackson and Leif were hanging out. Michael, who was 20 at the time, only a couple years older than Leif, said, quote, Leif, can you tell me how to masturbate? (laughs) (laughs) Leif said he could not believe that Michael didn't know how to masturbate. So he sent him up to his hotel room and told him to look for his penthouse magazine and the bottle of Lubriderm that was there and told him just have at it and try it. Michael did go up to his room, but he came back down and he told Leif that he could not go through with it. And then he said those pictures were nasty. Really? So, yeah, Leif, that's just like an, one of the many wild celebrity stories that are in this memoir. I like the pent. He wasn't a pent. Penthouse was too raunchy. For Michael Jackson? Yeah. <laughs> He said those pictures are nasty. I mean, penthouse is was pretty nasty back then. Yeah, like, but- it was more. Of, it was like more raw. <laughs> <laughs> totally. One of Leif's most infamous and tragic stories involves a car crash, but there was a lesser known car crash that occurred before. Leif had spent several days partying at his friend Peter's house in Topanga Canyon. They spent the weekend doing drugs, drinking, and having sex, meaning Peter watched while Leif had sex with Peter's girlfriend. Wow. So that was the kind of shit they were into. That's an OG cuck. Yeah. He, Peter was a cuck. Yeah. That's wild. At one point, Leif was on top of this girl, and Peter says, okay, it's my turn. So mid-fuck, Leif, Leif sort of comes to and realizes like what he's doing, and he's like, this is weird. The situ- I'm not comfortable right. with the situation anymore. 
So he got freaked out. He left the house and he's like still high and drunk and fucked up and whatever. He's been partying for three days. He gets in his BMW and he leaves. He was obviously super high driving down the winding road and he crashed into a ditch and head on into a tree. Whoa. Leif panicked. This could not get to the press. He had this squeaky clean teen idol image yes. to maintain. So Leif and his friends concocted a harebrained scheme to bury the car in the ground and report it as stolen. Wow. They spent... <laughs> That's quite a, like, stretch. This is only... Like, some- why go that far? But this is only something you come up with when you're super high. Yes. You, this and it sounds, seems brilliant. This seems like a brilliant idea. You're like, I know. Let's come up... Instead of just saying... Also, when you're really rich... Because you wouldn't just get rid of a car like that like, right. if you couldn't afford it. Yeah. Right. So they spent days digging into the ground Ugh. around the car by hand. These idiots. I'm so irritated. With shovels, they were just digging around this car for fucking days. And it was cold. Well, for LA, it was cold. It yeah. was November. And they said the ground was hard. To establish an alibi, Leif went to a restaurant in Beverly Hills and asked the host loudly so that everyone could hear if his friends had arrived yet. Then Peter and his girlfriend Stephanie walked in and said, here we are. (laughs) So everyone knew they were all at this restaurant in Beverly Hills. Then they all had dinner. After dinner, they exited the restaurant and then Leif came running back into the restaurant and exclaimed, my car has been stolen. He then filed a police report. But by that point, they weren't even done burying the car. Ugh. So they filed this report before they were even done the job. Right. After seven days of digging this hole, they were about to push the car in when they heard a noise from up above them. It was two people on horseback. They heard one, then they heard one of the people on horseback cry, Oh my God, there's a dead body in that car. <gasps> it was obviously one of the guys... Or in an in or around the car. Right. And they thought it was like a dead body in the car that had crashed into a ditch. So Leif and his friends got the hell out of there in Peter's car. And as they were leaving, they saw police helicopters and cop cars <gasps> as they sped past them on the road. They went to a motel, but while the boys were across the street buying booze, Stephanie called her father, who was a lawyer, and she said that her dad was going to tell the police. Whoa. Stephanie's a snitch. <laughs> that was such a snitch move. What a fucking snitch. The police did catch up to Leif, and he begged them to just keep the car and that he was really sorry and did not tell anyone, to not make a big deal about it. He was almost charged with insurance fraud because that's what they thought he was trying to do. Oh. Like, why is he getting rid of this car? Right. Or why is he lying about crashing this car? This is fucking ridiculous. But luckily... Very luckily, the sheriff's daughters were big fans of Leif Garrett, so all he had to do was sign a couple of autographs for them, and they made it all go away. Wow. And that is the perks of being Leif Garrett. Yeah. So this is a quote from Leif about the enabling. That's the problem with celebrities sometimes. Everybody thinks that they are helping you out by giving you special treatment, but in reality, it's just another shovel full of dirt in an early grave. Mm. By this time, Leif was finally ready to speak up once and for all to his managers about what he wanted as an artist and basically how he was tired of singing all this dog shit music. (laughs) But the Scotty brothers were not having any of it. They were like big bullies. Yeah. 
During a particularly intense meeting, the brothers yelled at him, basically told him to stay in his lane and to shut up and that he needed to just do what they wanted and that his behavior was unacceptable. At one point, one of the brothers threatened Leif by saying, I'll expose you. I'll tell people the truth about your singing, which is that you're not really singing on these records. So on Leif's next album, Leif says that he isn't even singing at all on this one track, I Was Looking for Someone to Love. And I looked it up, and it's a song by Leif Garrett, but it is Desi. This this singer, whoever's singing on this track, could not sound less like Leif Garrett. Oh, my God. It's fucking bizarre. Ugh, I need to listen. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of hilarious because you listen and you're like, I don't really know what Leif Garrett sounds like, but that's not him. Yeah. In his memoir, Leif notes that his managers seem to have nothing wrong with him being fed drugs and alcohol and hit on by older women as a young adult, as long as he sold them records. On November 3rd, 1979, Leif was partying at Flipper's Roller Disco on La Cienega. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Don't you want to go to Flipper's Roller Disco? Absolutely. I wish this place still existed. It sounds fun as hell. I mean, I know there was probably a lot of like shady shit happening at Flipper's Roller Disco. Oh, totally. But like that is something that makes me sad about not being in my 20s or a teenager in the 70s yeah. is that I didn't go to these roller discos. Sounds so fun. They sound like How the do they not bring these back? People would love it. Seriously. So this exclusive roller disco was overflowing with drugs and alcohol, and upstairs people were fucking in the private rooms. Whoa. It was just five days before Leif's 18th birthday. Leif was hanging out with his new friend, Roland Winkler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they had just met a month prior, and they were now at Flippers, two young guys drinking beer and popping quaaludes. Iconic. Nice. <laughs> It was just getting light outside when the boys drove up in Leif's Porsche to Glenn Campbell's daughter's house to continue the party. <laughs> I told you there were some great names in this, Desi. They spent, they slept for a few hours at her house, but then they spent the next day drinking and taking more quaaludes at this house on Mulholland. The day turned into night and the partiers needed more coke. Leif and, Leif and Roland were picked to go venture out to North Hollywood to meet up with the dealer. Roland suggested that he drive them in his Mustang, but Roland was famous for getting into car crashes, so Leif was like, uh, no, yeah. I'm driving. You're, yeah. No, that's not happening. They got into the Porsche and headed down the long winding hill that descended into the valley. Ugh. As that sounds so long to go get Coke. <laughs> Desi, <laughs> can you imagine having to take that drive when you're wanting Coke? It just seems so... You're asking the wrong person that, first of all. Because while I was reading this part in his memoir, I was getting fucking chills up my spine. Not because I ever parted with any people of note ever, because yeah. I was a fucking junkie loser. But this whole process of like partying into the next day and then the next night and then the next day and then the next night where it's like all these days are overlapping and you're still awake and you're like, we need to go drive somewhere that's like, inconvenient to go get cocaine and you're driving and like the stereos blasting and the air conditioning's blasting and like oh my god and you're fucking changing cds because you're like oh i need to hear this song now and it's yeah. just fucking crazy like this and the wonderland murder story where they're on a run right in the morning like anytime there's like well this is like taking place at night but like it's the same energy as when you're on a coke run in the morning where yeah you're, it's like anytime you've been up for a few days yes 
and you're doing this run that's like a mission, but you're just going to get it done and it's going to be fine and you'll be back in fucking 20 minutes. Right. Never, never ends well. (laughs) So they got on the 170 freeway and Leif was so fucked up that he got confused about the directions to the meetup spot. Obviously, 70s, they don't even have fucking map quests then. Right. They are lost. Like, even though he's been to the, this golf miniature golf place where they're meeting him um, before, he's just not. Roland's like flipping through the Thomas Guide. <laughs> Did they have that in I don't the know. 70s? Like, I, I don't no know. Idea. So Leif turned to Roland, who was passed out in the passenger seat. Roland's eyes were rolled in the back of his head, and Leif thought he had died. Whoa. He started freaking out. He didn't know that at he didn't know at the time that sometimes Roland slept with his eyes open. Oh, that is that's a, so creepy. That is fucking creepy. That's really creepy. With his eyes open and rolled in the back of his head. You have to tell people. You got to tell people <laughs> that. If you're going to be spending the night with someone, you got to tell Especially if them. you're going to be doing a lot of drugs. Because they're going to be like, oh shit, this guy OD'd. I don't know how he fell asleep. That would be my concern. I mean, I would have thought he died too. How did you fucking fall asleep? You've been doing coke all night. Right. Maybe he was doing a lot of quaaludes. Yeah. Too many quaaludes. Probably. I don't fucking know. His eyes rolled in the back of his head. Leif thought he died. And so Leif shook him as he drove with one hand on the steering wheel. Meanwhile, he's still trying to navigate where the fuck he's going. He's getting back. He's getting off the freeway. He's getting back on the freeway. It's a mess. And that's when Leif clipped the car in front of them, causing them to spin out, hit the curb, and flip over into an 80-foot embankment. (sighs) The top of the car ripped away and the windshield caved in. They lie at the bottom of a hill. Blood was running down Leif's head, but he was alert and awake and totally panicked. He could hear Roland saying to him, straighten my legs, straighten my legs, as the smell of gasoline began to permeate the air. <gasps> Leif feared that the car was, car was just going to explode. Yeah. So Leif crawled up the hill for help, grabbing onto plants along the way as he pulled himself up top. At the top of the hill was a mother and father and their two children. It was the car that he had clipped. They yelled at him for hitting their car as Leif pleaded with them to call an ambulance. Leif went on to an emergency call box on the side of the road, and he called for help. Roland was rushed to the hospital. Leif says that that this is the date that marked the beginning of the end for him. Quote, I've never overcome the guilt and anguish from that night. Leif was arrested on drunk driving charges. The Scotty brothers released a statement insisting that Leif had not been drinking and that Roland Winkler's injuries were not even that serious. But that was not true. Right. Roland Winkler was paralyzed from the waist down, and he would be for the rest of his life. After Leif, after Leif's accident, he was set to tour Japan and Europe for a few months. So he recovered. He was not injured. Like, he made it. Yeah. He made it out of this accident pretty unscathed. He had some minor injuries. He recovers from this accident. He goes on tour to to Europe and Japan. And while he was in Germany at his hotel, he met one of his idols, Freddie Mercury. (gasps) Freddie introduced himself. And later that day, there was a special delivery sent up to Leif's room. It was a gram of Coke and an invitation to come to the studio that night to watch him record with Queen. Nice. They were recording the game, oh that my God. album, yeah. which is 
not a very famous Queen album. Andy Gibb, who was also staying at the hotel, was invited too. Ooh. So they all partied together. <laughs> That's amazing. How great is that? Yeah. Of course, as an addict and an alcoholic, the accident did not stop Leif from taking drugs and drinking. Right. In 1980, Leif got into a relationship with Nicolette Sheridan. Mm. They did a photo shoot together of them at Leif's house post-sex. This is like a pretty famous photo set. We're going to absolutely post photos from this on Instagram. She's in a bikini. He's in short shorts. It was very like titillating. They were both 18 at this point, two young stars in love. Things got serious in this relationship, and she moved into Leif's house, which is where he lived with his mom and sister. The two young stars had a passionate relationship and a lot of love, but of course they were prone to dramatics. Like I said, you know, he was 18, she was 17. Yeah. Young kids in love. Come on. (laughs) It's going to be a little dramatic. That same year, he released another album, and the following year he starred in a movie called Long Shot about foosball. Oh. The movie was not a hit. <laughs> I watched the trailer for this movie. It looks like the least compelling movie ever. The high stakes world of foosball? <laughs> yes, Desi. He is a competitive foosball player and he's looking to win the world foosball championship in Europe mm-hmm. so he can win like, I don't know, like $100,000 or something. I've never have understood the appeal of foosball. Like I can't deal. They're, I like air hockey. Their legs aren't long enough. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> They're if like the ball can short. go under and you're like sp- you're just like spastically spinning those, <laughs> it's so frustrating. It is like such a frustrating game. Just when you see the feet just go <laughs> yes, over the ball like a hundred times in a Ugh. row, it's the most inferior. And it the ball is just like you could blow it and it would <laughs> move more. <laughs> it's a wretched, wretched game. I hate yeah, it. I hate it too. I fucking hate it. This movie was not a hit. Yeah. Okay. And his next album wasn't a hit either. But in 1983, he did land a part in The Outsiders. Oh. Which was a very popular movie. Yeah. I had forgotten that he was in this movie. I did too. He's obviously not one of the main no. boys. He's just like a... He, was, he played the, the Soch, the jock preppy guy. Oh. He played that guy. Yeah, okay. Uh, his hair is much shorter. Right. In this, he does not have his signature Leif Garrett hairdo anymore. Did you like The Outsiders? Honestly, I haven't seen it in so long. I liked it because I I was young when I saw it, and it was yeah. like all these cute boys. Yeah, it was like <laughs> definitely a who's who of like hot boys from '83. Right. I mean, I don't even think I I didn't see it till probably much later than when it came out, like on TV. So I don't even know if I've ever seen the original cut. Like I probably just saw a TV cut. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Where yeah. they kind of edit out a lot of stuff. Right. So I don't know. It's not like it's not one of those movies for me where I'm like, I love that movie. Like I just yeah. don't have a clear love of it. But I, I feel the like book. I've seen it. I remember I had to read the book like in seventh grade and I liked the book. Yeah. Yeah. I the movie's good just because I think the boys are cute. And it's a good subject matter. I also don't remember the movie that well. Either. I just don't remember the movie that well. And yeah. I don't know that I've ever seen the original full cut. I right. really don't. Yeah. Yeah. In 1984, Roland Winkler was awarded $3.9 million in a settlement paid out by Leif's insurance company. Whoa. Leif was ordered to pay $15,000. The following year, Leif proposed to Nicolette Sheridan while he was in New Zealand filming his movie Shaker Run. She said yes. 
but the engagement was short-lived. Nicolette broke it off, and they were broken up for good. So Leif was obviously devastated. He had just lost the love of his life. He was 25 years old, and he felt totally lost. It was during this time that he reconnected with a guy named Joel Stevens, who was a manager that he had met years ago at the John Denver Celebrity Ski Tournament. (laughs) Once again... The height of 70s. That is the most 70s fucking event I've ever heard of in my life. Joel was a Scientologist. Oh. Joel approached Leif with the offer of singing a song for an album based on L. Ron Hubbard's writings. (laughs) John Travolta was doing it too. Ugh. Joel wasn't just recruiting Leif for the album. He was also recruiting him for Scientology. Yeah. Desperate for direction and unaware of the church's practices, Leif decided to give it a chance. He recorded his song for the album and was given a t-shirt and some free Scientology classes. He never saw a dime from the album that ended up going platinum either. Like the deal he signed with the recording that song was so shitty. So he never saw any on the back end of it, of the sales. During Leif's time experimenting with Scientology, he met David Miscavige. Oh, wow. Who he describes as, quote, an intense, short guy who was very off-putting. He had nothing but bad things to say about David Miscavige. Yeah. But fortunately for Leif, his time around the church was short-lived. He never got fully invested. I feel like only Tom Cruise likes David Miscavige. Like what about ne- John Travolta? Oh, yeah. Do you think him. he likes him? Well, I think Tom Cruise, though, is his favorite celebrity. Because they're both short kings. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I just like, I hate David Miscavige. Yeah, he sucks. He sucks. Well, I'm afraid to even say that on this podcast. Oh. I was like, he sucks, but with an asterisk <laughs> with the you should please, be. <laughs> please, please don't harass me. Please. But beyond the Scientology stuff, let's just take that out of the picture. He's the type of person I do not like. Right, just beyond his just beyond the beliefs. religious stuff, I don't like short people who are clearly um, upset about it. Like I know a lot of short people who are fine with it, and that's cool. I, but when you have a problem with yourself, yeah. it's really uncomfortable. Because you know what, short guys are hot. Yeah, I've almost only dated guys who are my height. Like I don't really, I don't, tend not to date guys who are super tall. So it's not a problem I have with it. But I don't like when they have a problem. I with don't it. either because yeah. that's not attractive. But I like a guy who's comfortable with like short kings. You guys are hot. absolutely we yeah. Love it. No, we, I love it. But it's like that type of guy where they have something to prove. And no matter what their height is, I don't like it. <laughs> Agreed. So Leif was still, however, depressed. And on the fringes of success. He says that at this point, he was just appearing in whatever shitty movies he could get cast in. And it was really solely for the drug money. I'm I'm shocked he didn't really continue his acting career during the height of his fame. Like, he seemed to shift to music, kind of. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I mean, and he thought that there was going to be something because, you know, when he worked with Francis Ford Coppola on The Outsiders, like, he thought... That that might be a comeback. He His management was real shitty, too. I mean, it seems that way. Because it seems like they didn't have a long-term plan. They did not have a long-term plan, I don't think, for him to transition him to be... And obviously, it is hard to transition into adulthood as a child Right, I also don't know, was he a good actor or not? Well, he was getting, like, offered parts after that outsider's role because right. he got good reviews for it yeah so he was fine I mean. but he never heard about he said in his book he never even heard about these offers 
Right. And that, like, of course, it was like he wondered if it was his management, you know, just fucking him over. Or just incompetent. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. But life truly began spiraling out of control for Leif when he started doing heroin. He had done it once before by accident in the late 70s at Studio 54. He thought it was a line of coke. I mean, a lot of people have accidentally done heroin. I feel. (laughs) I'm not joking. No, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a common. But now he was fully invested. During this time, he was also spending a lot of time with his friend, Robert Downey Jr. Uh-oh. And this is like the early 90s, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. era, very yeah. famous era. Leif says, quote, I could probably write a separate book all about those nights spent with Robert. Oof. He should. <laughs> I mean, like, I, please. Yeah. I would read it. Me too. One of the stories included in the book took place in the mid-90s at a rock star-filled party up in the Hollywood Hills for the band Orgy, who had just been signed to a record label. Wow. Do you remember Orgy? And the, and the name is familiar. I couldn't tell you a song of theirs if I had a gun to my head. <laughs> That's someone I thought was hot in seventh grade, was the lead singer of that band. Okay. He had, wore a lot of makeup. Right. And I thought that was I hot. I mean, that's my impression of them. Yeah. <laughs> Guy liner. They were like very like a new industrial or that era right. like alt. Yeah. Whatever. So he's at this party with Robert and Robert's wife, Debbie, was there too. This is his then wife. And she had a seizure in the bathroom. <gasps> Everyone at this party was fucked up. Paramedics came and rushed Robert's wife away in an ambulance, but Robert stayed behind with Leif. He wanted to score more drugs. So while they were driving to meet the dealer, the two guys stopped at a liquor store. Leif got a Yahoo drink. Ooh. I mean, Yahoo. You, Yoo-hoo. Yoo-hoo. <laughs> I know a, what you meant. He got a Yoo-hoo. Um, and he just wants everyone to know that this was the only time in his life he had ever worn white jeans, which I found really shocking. <laughs> it's pretty shocking. Okay. You, like, Leif Garrett, you made it through the whole 80s without wearing white jeans. How is that even possible? That's not even fucking possible. I don't even believe... <laughs> I believe every other story of his in this book except for that one. And why did he make a point of telling us? <laughs> because... He went to shake up the Yoo-Hoo, but oh he forgot he had already unscrewed it. So the Yoo-Hoo like, exploded all over his white jeans. <gasps> this is a Mentos moment. <laughs> this is when you need to pop a Mentos. Why would you shake a Yoo-Hoo that hard? I'm sorry. Dude, he was high. Okay. <laughs> Come on. He said it looked like he'd shat himself. Mm-hmm. They did make it to the hospital that night to see Robert's wife. He had to go into the hospital with these like yoo stained white jeans. He basically just tells the stories like this is one of the most like stupid nights ever. Yeah. Like the whole thing top to bottom was fucking stupid. ridiculous. They, uh, but Leif's, Leif's addiction continued to rage on. He was out of money and what little money he did have was going towards heroin. In 1996, 
Leif's fam- family and friends staged an intervention for him. Nicolette Sheridan was there. When Leif walked into the living room of his apartment and saw the group of concerned people sitting before him, he's like, okay, I'll be right back. So Leif went to his bedroom, smoked the rest of his heroin, and he crawled down the fire escape. He then walked to a gas station to use the payphone. <laughs> he called his own house. And when the answering machine picked up, he left himself a message because he knew that the speaker would blare throughout the house and all his family and friends were sitting there. So he said, get the fuck out of my house. (laughs) I love this move. It's sad that we don't have answering machines like that anymore, (laughs) that you can do that kind of shit. I wish I would have thought of this at my intervention. Yeah. Except I wasn't at my own house. I was lured up to San Francisco. Yeah. Interventions suck ass. I'm just going to (laughs) say that. So that's why I love this story, because like I wish I had the balls to have done this at my own intervention. What a sick move. I like to picture Nicolette with her style sitting in an intervention. (laughs) She orchestrated the whole thing. So, I I mean, she really did care about Leif. Right. He told everyone that they didn't get the fuck out of his house. He was calling the police. So everyone except for Nicolette, his cousin Peter, and his mom left. Because they were like, yeah, fuck you, Leif. You want to call the police on us? Nicolette convinced him to pack his bags and let her take him to treatment. He arrived in Pasadena at Detox that day. But 10 minutes after checking in, Leif walked out and took a cab home where he continued to get high. Hmm. Tale as old as time. Yeah. In 1998, Leif was desperate for cash and he just wanted to get high. So he agreed to participate in this television documentary about his life. (laughs) VH1's Behind the Music. This show obviously went into Leif's drug and alcohol problems, but... Part of the narrative in the show, in this episode, was that he had cleaned up since then. But that was not the case at all. Leif says that during all of the interview segments in that episode where he's wearing a black bandana, he was high. (gasps) And he was smoking heroin in the bathroom in between (gasps) takes. How dare he? You know that black bandana look I'm talking I about. Absolutely know with exactly. His red goatee. I know exactly what he looks like in this behind the music. <laughs> I've literally seen it like so many times because I would watch it anytime it was on. How did his hair get so red? I have no idea. His hair got his look red. is so bad because he's so trying to be like one of those '90s bands. Yes, like those. Like I don't even know what 90s, they are. Like butt rock. Yeah. Exactly, it's, butt rock. It's late 90s butt rock. That's why I'm just fascinated with his, like, this desire to be artistic musically. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what is your artistic? <laughs> Where are you going with this? Ugh. Yeah, that look is just so, man. So he was really high. Any, any of the times he's wearing the black bandana. And you can watch the full episode on YouTube. So I suggest you do it. We should do, like, a recap for the bonus or something. That's a really great yeah. idea. Okay. Just of like the different people talking yes. and describe them. And yeah. Okay. That's a good idea. So <laughs> let's talk about one of the most infamous moments from this episode. And I'm pretty from sure. From the series. <laughs> really? <laughs> right. From the entire series. So this was the reunion between Leif and Roland Winkler. The guy that Leif had gotten into a car accident with. Leif had not seen Roland since the mid-80s. And the last time he saw him in the mid-80s was during their 
court dealings. But VH1 surprised Leif by tracking Roland down and staging a reunion for the cameras. Leif was totally blindsided by this stunt. He didn't even know what was happening until they were at the park ready to meet Roland. Like, he was ready to step. Like, you can tell. It's genuine. Yeah. That whole thing. He's it's like, so awkward. He's like, I was so fucking pissed at them because they did not tell me. They, like, all they said was we were getting some pickup shots or whatever of mm-hmm. him driving around this park. Right. So they can put, you know, voiceover over it or yeah. whatever of him thinking about his life. Like... No, they were luring him there to meet with this guy who he paralyzed in a car accident um, and had felt all this guilt and shame about for years, whatever. So all the emotions displayed by Leif in that moment of the episode were genuine. He broke down into tears. Uh, I mean, it was real. It was a very raw moment. And you're right. You can tell. Like, it's a weird, it's weird. It's really emotional, but there's also something where you could tell he wasn't prepared. It was exploitative. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell. It was kind of fucked. But that's why it's so riveting, I think. Yeah. I mean, sadly. Yeah. Because like they, they're mid interview with Leif before they even get to the park or maybe they're at the park or whatever. And they're like, we found Roland. And he's like, when he rolls up. Like, he literally rolls into the scene. Yeah, he rolls into it. <laughs> and, and it's just like, wait, who is this? <laughs> it's, like, this, so this shocking. Like old biker guy. His look, I will never forget. Because <laughs> I'm just like, he still looks, he has that look still. Like, yeah. Like, this is the late 90s, and he literally looks like he rolled in from, like, the early 80s or something. Like, nothing has changed. Right. And he's still, like, a fan. Dude. That's, he, like, the wildest part. He's, like thrilled to see he Leif again. thanks Leif Garrett. Yeah. He says, I, he, Leif Garrett's crying and Roland said to him, actually, like, I want to thank you because you saved my life that night. Right. And Leif's reaction to that too, I remember, where he's just like blown away. I mean, was Roland, maybe Roland was like, obviously he had his own alcohol, whatever problems, but maybe he did save his life that night. Maybe that got him sober. I don't know. I really don't it's know. It's his impression. It's his impression of That's it. That's all we can go off of. But of course, Leif still feels like haunted by this whole thing. Right. This is something he's, oh, even though Roland has this totally different outlook on it, and it is a wild scene where Roland's like, I love you, man. Like, It's such a weird scene. Right. You have to see it. Because you're not... I don't know. It's almost so emotional it seems fake, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so unheard of to see something that real. It's It almost seems, like, fake. I I can't explain it. But I know it's real. I'm not saying it's fake at all. The episode premiered in January of 1999, and despite Leif's complex feelings about it and his embarrassment over lying to the cameras about being sober, the episode was a hit. And he received an outpouring of support from fans who hadn't seen or heard from Leif in a decade. So suddenly he's like a big star again for Behind the Music. Following the success of his Behind the Music episode, he decided it was time to get back into music. (laughs) So he put together a band called Godspeed and they toured the states around in an RV and he was playing little clubs. I watched some of his like live music stuff. With his band or whatever. I don't know if it was the same band, if it was Godspeed, but I watched him do like a live show at some bar, like the Whiskey or something in like 2015. And it's like all these fucking moms 
in the audience. <gasps> oh my god! And they're still so horny for him. You could have a career with that kind of shit. I almost went to go see Keith Sweat on Valentine's Day. <laughs> like I will go see. Those are the people someone. I want to see. Honestly, Me too. I'd rather go to like some half-empty club. <laughs> Where you could be close and watch them. I want to see someone that I was obsessed with in my teenage years, personally. absolutely. I would love that. So throughout the early 2000s, Leif supported his drug habit by appearing in a number of low-budget straight-to-video films. In 2001, he was hired to voice himself on Family Guy in a recreation of the infamous Behind the Music reunion scene. (laughs) So they did like a parody of that scene or whatever. And he. I mean, that's how you know it's iconic. Yeah, it's that iconic. In 2004, Leif was arrested for cocaine possession. He was placed on probation, but was arrested again in 2005 for failing to appear in court. In 2006, he was arrested at the LA Metro station for not having a ticket. And they found heroin on him. So <laughs> the B story was that he also had heroin. Yes. So he was held in jail without bail. He agreed to go to rehab and was released, but he was rearrested after he dropped out of the program. He was sentenced to 90 days in jail that same year after failing to complete a second drug program. While he was in jail, Leif says that a female guard shoved an old Tiger Beat era photo at him into his cell and said, look at you now, you fucking loser. <laughs> she had some long-standing vendetta. <laughs> what a bitch. Honestly. That's insane. That is like fucking awful. What? Yeah. Like, unless he did something to you. Yeah. Like, Leif but there, I can see it being satisfying. He's all, I mean, yeah, he's harming his friends and family, but he's not harming you, you fucking yeah, bitch. Unless he did. <laughs> No, he didn't. Leif he, said, he, he like snubbed her when she was trying to get an autograph of that same tiger beat. You think that this woman had a vendetta <laughs> no. against him since 77? No, but I love the idea of someone having a vendetta that long. Ugh, I just read this. I was disgusted with this That's guard. really weird. Like, where would you even get that tiger beat? Like, that took she some effort. out of her way yeah. to humiliate him. That's awful. When he was at his lowest point in his yeah. life. That How- seems like illegal. Oh, come on. Prison guards do all sorts of shitty yeah. shit. Yeah, that's they, true. They rape people, Desi. Okay? <laughs> no, but the tiger beat's really bad. <laughs> yeah, Desi. That's the worst thing a prison guard has ever done. I can't believe it. I can't believe they would do that. So for 90 days, Leif contemplated his life and at times wondered if he had been better off having died that night in the crash. Mm. A quote from the book says, Would it be sort of like James Dean? Death in a fiery Porsche accident. Taken from the world while still beautiful and mysterious. No chance to erode before people's eyes. I was forced to accept that part of me wished I had died that night. And then I came face to face with the bleak reality that I had been trying to kill myself ever since. Yeah. That was really fucking sad. That is sad. In 2006, Leif won $50,000 in the celebrity edition of Fear Factor. Oh, that's what I think I was thinking of. Did I knew he did some celebrity. Show? I saw some episodes of Fear Factor for sure. I have no idea why I watched it. Like, I can only think that was it on after something I watched? Because it doesn't seem like something I would tune into. No, but I watched some of it. I didn't, it was not must see TV for me, and I didn't like 
turn it on when it started. It was always like flipping the channel. That's why I think like it came on after something I watched. I think it came on after something I watched too. Because that seems like usually when I watch something. Or before something I watched. Yeah, and I would see the tail end of it. It I just don't like seeing cockroaches. I fucking hate cockroaches. I think it's one of those things where I don't like it, but if I started watching it, then I had to like continue. Yeah. Yeah. and then they do have the infamous donkey semen episode. Yeah, people were always like drinking cum on that show. <laughs> but but not in a always. good way. It yeah. was in a bad way. You don't want to have cum after it's been in a cup for a while. It needs no. to come fresh from the source. I, <laughs> also, I also don't want to drink cum from a different species as me. Well, yeah, there's that too. If I'm going to guzzle cum, <laughs> it's going to be straight from the tap. <laughs> Fresh from the spring. Fresh from the spring, sourced in the French Alps from a hot guy. Yeah, seriously. Not a hot donkey. (laughs) I'm not interested in drinking animal cum. I will drink the cum, but not unless it's fresh. Yeah. Okay. Now you know our rules. Leif was arrested for drug possession, and in October of that year, he entered a court-ordered rehab. Now, he did go on tour again, like, after that. In Korea, in South Korea. Oh. And he said it was a really great time and there were still fans that wanted to see him. But that's really where his memoir ends, even though the memoir was released in like 2019. Like this is a new memoir. Oh, I didn't realize it was that new. So I don't really know what he's up to, but I don't think he's in a bad place given like the, I did read some like interviews with him that were more recent and he seems to be in an okay place. Like, I think he, he, he used, like, some sober language right. towards the end of the memoir, which made me think, like, uh, he's, like, doing some sober shit. Yeah. Like, is court-ordered, um, court-mandated rehab harder to leave? Uh, yeah, because that's the kind of rehab I went to. Was, uh, like a, it's like a Prop 36, at least in California, where it's like, you have a choice to go to prison or to a rehab facility. So you're like, instead of like going to jail for whatever a year, you can go to like 90 days inpatient rehab. So you're, 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 you still have a choice, but the alternative is really, really even worse. Yeah. (laughs) So that's why people, it works. But some, but some addicts, alcoholics will be like, I'm going to jail. I'm not getting clean. Fuck you. I can do jail time. Right. Um, But we had a, a lot of girls in my facility who, were there on a court order. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's like a common thing. So that could work better for certain types of people. Yeah. Who are more stubborn. I mean, look, rehab is not a guarantee you're going to get sober. Yeah. But that probably, he at least probably went through the program finally in some way. Yeah, hopefully he stayed out. I know he was on, I think he was on like a Dr. Drew celebrity rehab. That's why I think I also remembered seeing Uh, him. Yeah, I don't think you should be filming that shit. That's my own hot take. That show seemed wrong. That was I did watch it, but I definitely felt like this doesn't seem right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey. I was like, I mean, this is really interesting, but like, is this legal? <laughs> like, yeah, it's because I mean, it seemed like it's breaking all those confidentiality things, but I guess right. they agreed to it. But I do remember. I mean, I didn't watch like every season, but I saw some episodes of it, and it just seemed so. Like, what was the Conaway guy? The from Jeff Greece? Conaway. Oh my god, that his story was tragic. Yeah, he should be an episode. Absolutely. I had like a massive crush on Kaniki. I thought he was hot. When he, he was, was like so hot when he was. He Kanicki. was way hotter than John Travolta. Hell yeah! In that movie, that's why we're both. This- we have like <laughs> we have the same type. No, of when guy. I saw Kaniki, I was like madly in love with him. Right? Because obviously, I'm a Rizzo. <laughs> oh my god! 
course. <laughs> no, but yeah, his story is really sad. Because really you wanted sad. him to make it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that show, it just seems wrong. I, I didn't watch it. I saw like a couple clips or whatever, but I couldn't watch a whole episode. Well, I could see why you would be more sensitive. I don't even really know the like the rules of sobriety, like all of that kind of stuff. So for me, I was just like, what is this? It's another exploitive reality show. But it definitely, it hit different. It was, like, it was this something is- about that show because I did watch Intervention. Yeah, I'm, because I think with that show, it's like it almost felt like they were rooting for them to fuck up and act out on celebrity rehab. Yes. Yeah. Whereas intervention, they were really trying to help them. I think. Yes, uh, and they like, they were still acting out. It but seemed like, like a little more serious of a show, but we did get to watch TV like once a week in rehab. So we would all watch one of the shows we watched because it was like on at the time all the time was Intervention. And we would just laugh and fucking <laughs> have like the best color commentary while watching that show, like while people were smoking crack. I was like minorly, I mean, bad word choice, but addicted to Intervention when I first saw it. Cause I yeah. was like, I have never seen anything like that. And I think I was like actually in Vegas and I, I don't have cable. So I was like, whenever I go to a hotel, like I'll watch cable TV. Like that was the first time I saw like Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Yeah. Like I had never seen that show before. And I was like, what is this? And then I think I watched Intervention. Like I literally was up to like 4 a.m. It was like one of those like marathon blocks. Right. And I couldn't stop watching it because I was like, I've never seen a show like this before. This is like, and every... It's one of those shows where it's always the same format, but every episode is literally completely different. Like, no story is the same. Right. So I couldn't stop watching it. Right. It's wild. But, uh, and my favorite was Candy. I loved Candy. Was she the naked girl? No, Candy was one of the intervention people. Oh, see, I didn't, I I didn't watch it as hardcore as you probably did, but I, I don't remember the interventionist, but I remember a couple choice people who were the stars of it. Oh, I remember, yeah, a couple of choice like, people. Like a choice addicts. Like there was one mom who I loved who was like uh, a former beauty queen in her small town and she was just like a garden variety alcoholic. Like right. just drinking in the parking lot of her job. Oh <laughs> Those my are God. actually my favorite, the garden variety alcoholics. Thanks, Desi. <laughs> Thanks for picking favorites of people who are sick with a deadly disease. I can't believe... Not that it's like favorite because there's something about them where they're kind of like, ah, it's kind of like they're slowly killing themselves. Yes. Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's okay. I think that's why I liked Candy because she was that type where you're like, I could hang out with her at a dive bar for a few hours. Like there's like a part of them that's like a little bit fun still. My interventionists were really cool. They were really sweet, but I still told them they were full of shit and that I didn't need help. Yeah. But they were nice ladies. Yeah. It's a, it's a wild show. Yeah. But I haven't seen it in a while. That was yeah. like A&E. That was like when A&E started doing the good reality shows. Yeah. That was like, like Hoarders that's Intervention. That's when they got rid of their like, we're getting rid of Masterpiece Theater or whatever the fuck <laughs> yeah. shit they had on before then. But then they started doing those two and like, what's the one? Toddlers and Tiaras. Was <laughs> like, that A&E? I thought that was TLC. That's oh, TLC. maybe it's TLC. But both TLC and A&E both started getting TLC, good. TLC, originally the learning channel. Right. But A&E was the same. It was like biography. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Both of those channels were sort of more serious and yes. kind of nonfiction. Right. But like biography oriented stuff. TLC, by the way, along with Investigation Discovery, two, my two favorite networks. Yeah. I love, I watch those networks more than any other network. They're good. Like in terms of like the volume of shows I watch. Yeah. And I like, I like a lot of Bravo too. 
I mean, I watched all the premium channels and stuff. Right. But like basic cable. (laughs) Fucking. Even A&E though. Like I used to watch like Bill Curtis, City Confidential, like all of those shows. I don't remember that one. That was like the the start of true crime stuff. Bill Curtis was like in Chicago and he hosted like all of these true crime shows on A&E. I didn't watch And then there was City Confidential. City Confidential is the best one. Paul Winfield. That actor, he narrates it. It's such a good show. I love City Confidential. Cool. I got TV you to gotta, catch up on. You gotta watch City Confidential because it's always like, it's always a town where you would never <laughs> expect a murder. So the the first fifteen minutes, it's like, it's like Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> People are on their porch sipping lemonade. It's like always about how it's the quaintest town in the world, but then some awful crime happens. I love it. It's love so it. good. You get a little bit of history of the city. You get a little crime. I love that. Maybe yeah. I did watch that it's show. It's iconic. It's not even that old. It's like from the late 90s, 2000s, that probably. That very familiar the Bill now. Curtis, too. Like, you will recognize him. He's got gray hair and, like, black eyebrows. Oh. And he hosted, like, five shows. That was, like, the channel I would watch where I would literally watch every single... It didn't matter if I had seen 100 Richard Ramirez shows. <laughs> if, right. I, if there was a new one, I would watch it right. and hope one new detail popped up. That was like, that's what I was looking for. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, so Annie for me was all of those true crime shows. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners were probably watching them too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So that was Leif Garrett. Good story. I didn't realize he had so many uh, connections. I didn't really know what his career was. Even when I knew who he was, I was like, "What? how is he famous? <laughs> Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like someone like Andy Gibb who had like a massive hit. Right. That you knew. Like he didn't really have anything. Well, like unless you're a Leif Garrett fan, you can't just name a Leif Garrett song. Right. And then when I heard his music, I was like, what? Like this? Right. This is lame. This is like kids bop or whatever. Like where the kids do the covers or something. yeah. Yeah. But that being said, Leif, I hope you're doing well. And you you have the most iconic behind the music. You have the best. For me. For me too. You yeah. have the best behind the music. We support you. We hope you're doing well. Yeah, and I loved, absolutely. And I loved reading your memoir and everyone should go buy it and support and I, it. And my friend recently uh, tweeted about behind the music and I was like instantly, he's like, what's your favorite behind I the music? I saw that. Oh, did you? Yeah. And I was like instantly, I was like, there's no other answer. No, I'm sorry. There's no like, other answer. I think answer. he picked the TLC one, which is also good. Right. But I was like, no, I'm sorry. The the Leif Garrett is unmatched. It's, it's next year. It's one. God level. It is like, God level. Like the TLC one. Yes, she burnt the house down. We love Left Eye. Like right. it was definitely a good one. But just there's just no contest. Right. Because of that awful moment. No. That was like, <laughs> I'm sorry. He has to know. And because of how strikingly different he looked in the behind the music compared to. It was uh, like a poor man's Brett Michaels look or something like with it was goatee and his bandana. the bandana was just like yeah <sighs> i don't know it's i need to like we have to end on a positive note about leif garrett he should come on the show leif come on the pod when quarantine's over yeah please <laughs> i would love to have him me too i like him don't get me wrong i do too he seems like a really nice guy we could chill i bet you we have a connection we could meet him uh, we do actually. Yeah. But I'm not going to say it on the pod. No. Okay. We've All right. Got, we've got plan. We've got scheming we got to schemes. do. <laughs> we do have a connection with Leif Garrett and that okay. made me excited. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye.